All right, we're in Acts 2, right, as we know, uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47, as we unpack these devotions, um, not just of our church, and I want you all to hear this, the, there are five that we're going to unpack, and we're on number four, the fifth one next week is not so obvious in the scriptures, we'll, we'll draw it out next week, but these are not just devotions of the Grove, these are devotions of every church, every true church um, that, that, that has lived, truly, since Pentecost Sunday, uh, in that in the first century until now and into the future. These are the things that we as Christians, not just organized religion, but just as Christians, we ought to be devoted to. These are the things that we will not back off from because we don't feel like it, right? These, that's what devoted truly means. It means clinging on to something, holding fast to something in spite of how we feel, in spite of our capacity or whatever obstacles might stand in our way. That's absolutely what it means to be devoted. It's like being devoted to my wife. That doesn't end because I don't feel like it. We still remain devoted to a few things. And so as we've gone through this, right, we've gone through, we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. And as we've done this, we've had a grid that we've used. It's not just this, but it's also that. So the apostles' teaching means it's not just that we're devoted to the Scripture. We are devoted to the Scriptures. But also, as we understand it in our context, it also means gospel centrality. Because what is it that the apostles were obsessed with? And that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And how dare I end it with just resurrection, but also the ascension and also the returning of the good king. That's what, God, that's what the apostles' teaching were obsessed with, making sure that you and I rehearsed again and again and again and again. But it's not just the apostles' teaching, it's also to the fellowship. And while fellowship is also getting along, it also means a committed partnership to each other's spiritual Good. That's going to mean that we enter into some awkward and difficult conversations because Ephesians 4 tells us that we're going to mature, we're to grow up by speaking the truth in love and therefore we also must be able to receive the truth in humility. See, that's what the fellowship is all about. And we went on last week to talk about the breaking of the bread. And it's not just celebrating the Lord's Supper in a corporate assembly. It's also, it's also doing this in remembrance of me in all of life. And what is the this? It's all of life. It's doing all of life in remembrance with, with a single purpose of worshiping Jesus in all of life. And so now we turn to the fourth one. And that is we are devoted to the prayers the prayers, and I don't know what happens with you uh, when you hear prayer, um, but uh, here's what I know. There's a little saying amongst pastors that if you want to gr- shrink a crowd down, put the title mission or prayer in whatever your event is, and you'll thin everybody out by at least 50 or 60%. So if you knew today was about prayer and you showed up anyway, praise the Lord, you're here, you're one of the few. If you didn't know it was prayer and you just found out and you rolled your eyes and your heart, we welcome you in too. You're welcome here because here's the deal. You're not alone in that. When I think about prayer, there are many days where I just go, oh, I'm not good at that. Or, oh, I wish I was better at that. Or, oh, again, reminded of what I'm terrible at. Cool. See, if experience and recent statistics are any sort of guide, here's what I know. We would all affirm the power of prayer. We just sang about it, like the whole time. We would all affirm the power of prayer, but if if experience, my own, and recent statistics are any guide, we may affirm the power of prayer, but we pray with the persistence of an atheist. And what does that mean? 
It means that we believe some things, but our practical reality doesn't flesh those things out. And instead, we don't actually believe that God is resurrected, ascended, reigning, able to intervene at any moment. We instead have the persistence of an atheist, and they believe that God is dead. And we don't believe that. It's as I said to my friend yesterday at a softball tournament, I just, just grabbed her hand and I go, hey girl, what are you going to do about the God of resurrection? And she was like, mm, I'm still working on that. I know, that's why you and me are on the same team. We're ready to go. I'm not talking about Team Jesus yet, I'm talking about softball. I don't know what you do at the softball fields, but this is a regular rhythm for me. And we're going to talk about that next week. The regular rhythm, just to be able to have the conversation where you just interrupt somebody and tap them on the hand and go, what are you going to do, though, about the resurrected king? Because that's a real, re that's a real, that's the most pressing reality for any of us, not just in this room, on the planet. And so will we be a people that engage the Lord and others in a way that he's not dead, he's not in the grave, he is alive, he is resurrected. You see, that's what prayer, first and foremost, is all about, that we have to acknowledge he is alive. Now I can go to, my, go to my notes for the first time. I don't know where I'm at. None of that was in the notes, but here we are. All right, here we go. Here's where we're going to go today, all right? Um, I was telling Melissa this earlier. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but I thought I had an outline in my mind by about Thursday. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. And then I was like, I think I've preached on prayer before, and indeed I have. It was the first sermon of 2020, as if we didn't know that all that was 2020 was going to give us. We started that year in this room. On prayer, and I had the exact same outline that I preached through that day that I thought I was going to preach through this day. So we switched some things up. We got a little bit more practical. So today I'm going to give you five tips for a good prayer life, but more than just prayer. It's not just corporate prayer. It's not just personal prayer. It's dependence upon God. You see, that's the layer b below the layer. It's not just that we would pray and go, oh Lord, help us you know, succeed at work. No, no, it is a life dependent upon King Jesus, a, a life that is purposed to depend on someone else. My goodness, is that like anti our culture or what? Well, it's no wonder that we're not great at it, and it's also no wonder that we need to hear a word on it on occasion. So if prayer is then not just about getting what we want, um, so like you could approach prayer like a vending machine, like I'm going to put some prayers in, and Lord, you give me the Funyuns that I so desire. Lord, I'm going to put some prayers in. I'm going to put some work in here. If you would just give me the sour Skittles out of D7. I know that I'm ordering sour Skittles because it says D7. Don't you dare give me that protein bar. That's an E9. Do you see what we do with prayer? So we put it in and then he'll give us what we want. That is not the purpose of prayer. That's not how Jesus taught his people to pray at all. So if it's not that, then it's got to be something different. It's got to be dependence. It's got to be intimacy. It's got to be relationship, right? And if we're going to have some sort of good practical guide for how to be better prayers, let's start with this. Y'all ready for this today? This is going to be good. Tip number one, we need to confess our preference for independence. Y'all ready? I said I, I tried to prepare you. We need to confess our preference for independence. Y'all remember John 15? If you don't know this about my story, this is the, one of the first pieces of scripture that I read as a curious person about God. Uh, I, I took somebody's Bible on campus of A&M and I was like, let me read that. And they were reading John 15 and I read these verses and I don't think my life was ever the same from that point forward. 
But let's, let's try and figure out why this is here. This is what John 15, 4 through 6 say in your scriptures. It's going to come up on your screen, and I'll just do a little side note. There's going to come a day soon where we quit putting scripture up on the screen. All right? I want you all to hear this. Now, we're doing that because we want you. Yeah, some of you are going, why would you do that? We want you to read and know where things are in your Bible. Okay? So one of the ways that you know how to read the scriptures is that you're kind of being forced to bring it to learn from it, or in your, in your app, you want to you go that, that's fine. If you're like below 35, go that route. If you're below over 35, then you like paper and the smell. The smell of holiness is right here. Okay, so that's why you bring this, right? And so you can flip around and figure out where things are. It's not going to happen today, but there's going to be a day soon where we do this, and don't be surprised when it happens. All right, back to where we were going. John 15, 4 through 6, you ready? John 15 says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot, not will not, impossible. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And remember, Jesus is the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Uh, verse 5, this is what I read and I don't think my life was ever the same. I had an intramural jersey with 15 colon 5 on the, back of my, my, on, my, on the back of a shirt in college because of this verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Oh, praise the Lord. All we got to do is abide in me, in him. But listen to the firm instruction of Jesus. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, now listen, it's not just that we can't do stuff. If anyone does not abide in me, this is the warning. He is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, what's his firm instruction? If we do not live like God is alive, like he is the ultimate source of nourishment for our souls, we will be cut off, we will wither, and we will prove that we were never a part of the, of the vine to begin with. This is a mark of every Christian, that we would live lives of dependence upon Jesus for all things. I want us to hear that. This isn't optional to just be like, oh, I'll pray kind of occasionally. No, no. Prayer is kind of the secondary point. It's dependence, a heart of humility, a heart of, of, of understanding that we can do nothing without God's nourishment, care, guidance, counsel, conviction, rebuking, encouragement in our lives. The reasons why this is in the Bible, number one, is we need to hear the importance of dependence, especially in a country that was founded with a document that talks about independence. It's kind of anti-culture. We need to be reminded of what the scriptures say about being dependent upon someone else outside of ourselves again and again, number one. Number two is that Jesus knows what's in our hearts and what is in our hearts. It's not just independence. It's independence leading to rebellion. I want you to hear that. It's independence. Not a bad thing. We all want our kids to grow up and be independent of us so they can be dependent upon Jesus. Independent, leading, though, to rebellion. And you might think, well, what, what, what do you mean? In the Old Testament, God um, says a few things about the nation of Israel. In Jeremiah 2, 13, which I think will come up on our screen, this is what God uh, was offended by with how Israel was, was, was living or how they were living. He says, for my people have committed two evils. You want to know why they're about to get sent into exile for 70 years? You want to know why that for, for 
a long time the Jews felt rejected and abandoned by God, it was because of two things that Israel had done to deserve their exile. The first, I want you to hear this in relation to dependence. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Okay, they have forsaken you. And how have they forsaken you? What have they done as a result? The fountain, look at this, the fountain of living waters is pouring over the nation of Israel and they have walked away from that fountain and what have they done? They then have hewed out cisterns for themselves, but they are broken cisterns that can hold no water. AKA, they have walked away from the dependency that they have on the fountain of life. And they've gone, I would, be, I would rather go and be thirsty on my own. I want to go dig out a, a, a well so that I can be self-dependent and not have to rely on the pillar of fire or the cloud at, you know, during the day or whatever to tell me where to go. I'm, I'm, t- I'm tired of that life, and now the life is upon me. That's what sent them into exile. Independence leading to rebellion. I want us to hear that. We need to confess our preference for independence, not just in this country, but in every country, in all times, right? And yet we hear story after story where God is breaking us of independence leading to rebellion. You remember Kadesh Barnea when the Israelites walk up to Kadesh Barnea and they're looking into the promised land, right? The first time they go up to Kadesh Barnea, they go in, they send 12 spies in and 10 spies come back and they go, we can't do it. The people are too big. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And two come back and their names are Joshua and Caleb. And they come back with a preferable report, a good report that goes, yeah, yeah, they're big, but God is on our side. And what do the people do? They don't believe God. And what does God do? He gives them 40 years in the desert. Why? They saw with their own eyes We cannot be that dependent upon God for our victory. we got to start doing something different. This isn't going to work if we're dependent. If you remember the Judge Gideon, when the Judge Gideon was was told to go take over, right, he had 32,000 troops. And what did God do? He whittled his troops down and he said, almost verbatim, you have too many. You have too many people to take them over Instead, instead of your 32,000, Gideon, I want you to do all these little tricks, and you're going to get down to 300. This is the original 300, right? This is 300 that were going around, and they're going to go, what are they going to do? They're going to smash clay pots with torches on a mountain. If you want to talk about dependence, you want to talk about an entire people that were formed with don't be independent, don't trust in other people, don't trust in the power of humanity, instead Just strip it all down and be dependent upon Jesus. And if that's not enough, if it's not Kadesh Barnea, if it's not Gideon, remember the context of the verse that we just recited together and our kids did, right? It's the battle cry to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why would we need to hear that? Because what we see with our eyes seems impossible. We need to confess our preference for independence, which leads us to this beautiful quote, by the way. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this book twice. Uh, Two things out of this book. It's called A Praying Life. I can't recommend this book enough. I've recommended it before. Before you get to Keller's Prayer, if you're like a Keller fan, read this one. You can actually understand it. Really good. If you know Keller, you, you giggle a little bit. I have to read Keller about four times before I understand what he's saying, but it's really good. Anyways, Paul Miller, A Praying Life, very good, very practical. If you want to become a better prayer, great place to start. This is one of the things he talks about in regards to dependence. 
He says this in this book. We have an allergic reaction to dependency, but this is the state of the heart of most necessary for a praying life. A needy heart is a praying heart. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. If you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that, listen now, if you're not praying, you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. Now you can amen, but I would more, I can wholeheartedly ouch that one. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy, but if like Jesus, who? Oh, Jesus, King of the universe, Messiah, promised Christ, if you, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find the time to pray. So we must admit and therefore confess our preference for independence. But tip number two, if we're going to get beyond that, we've got to repent of cynicism. Repent of cynicism. He would go on to say some things about cynicism that I'll quote in just a moment. But before we get there, not only do we have to repent of trying to live lives that are either so comfortable that we don't need to pray or that we're trying to be independent of God's guidance, commands, and will, uh, but we also must repent again of cynicism. So we read passages like, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. And so we say, Lord, give me power, give me riches in your name. Let me make your name great through winning the lottery. Amen. And, oh, in Jesus' name, amen. And he goes, what? Not quite how this works. No, instead, it's pray in the name, in the power, in the riches that are found in Jesus according to his will that you might bring the kingdom to the earth. And that may not mean riches and power and wealth and a Lambo or a nice house or just a little bit bigger house with a pool. Not that I've been on H-A-R or anything. No, no. Not ask anything in my name in that way. Or we look at passages and we go, man, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will, move, you will say, move this mountain from here to there. And it will move. For nothing will be impossible to you or for you. We're just saying about moving a mountain in singing. Right? And we, we read that and we go, I mean, did you really mean that, Lord? Because I've prayed a lot of mountains to move. The Rockies are still right where they've been. Right? I mean, you know, Mount Bunnell still there. Enchanted Rock still right there. If I get to the base of Enchanted Rock this fall, when I go there and camp this summer, I go, Lord, move this mountain. I mean, are you really going to do it? You see how just cynicism and doubt start to creep in? But is that what he meant? Is that what we're really asking for in our prayers? As if, as if somehow we're kind of just throwing a penny in a well and going, oh, Lord, we just we hope you come through. We don't have any other choice anyway, so might as well throw a prayer up. Is that how we're living? You see, we pray for mountains to move and we get cynical because it's still there. But I would ask, have you considered that God moves mountains in a bunch of different ways? Have you considered that the mountain that he's perhaps moving, maybe the harder mountain to move than Enchanted Rock or the Rocky Mountains, is your heart? Have you considered that our desires are the very thing that he's moving in us rather than the thing outside of us, and therefore we don't really see the mountain anymore, but he's changed our heart? And in that a way he's moving a mountain? Of course it is. 
We just have to have eyes to see in the ways that he is doing what he's doing. Perhaps he removes our desire. Perhaps he moves us in relation to the mountain. But just because the mountain is in the same place doesn't mean he hasn't moved it because, again, we need to have eyes to see exactly what he's up to. But because the mountain is there, we get disappointed. We get full of misunderstanding. We start to get cynical. And this is what the human heart does. We start to hedge our bets. Lord, I'll pray, but I'm also going to work like crazy. Lord, I'll ask, but what else do I need to do here? Go to church? Do I need to give? And all of a sudden, we start to believe functionally in a faith that is not just by grace alone, but also by grace and works. I'll get what I want if I just put the right coins and punch the right numbers, the right combination. And that's not at all what God is calling us to do, that we don't just throw a penny into a fountain and go, well, it's all I got anyway, so might as well go for it. No, there's so much more, but we have to understand that cynicism creeps in when we don't quite get what we want in life, which, by the way, if we ask for a, raise, a raising of the hands, that would be everyone. There's not one person in here that's gotten what they thought they were going to get when they were, gonna, they were a kid. And yet you've been sold this lie. You can do whatever you want. You can live wherever you want. You want to be an astronaut? Go be an astronaut. Man, some people are just not astronauts. I'm one of them. You want to be a president? You just go be president. Lord help you. That's a rough, that, that's a rough world these days. You want to do this? You can go do it. That's the world we have lived in. And yet perhaps there's something greater on the other side of some disappointment. Look what Paul says, Paul Miller, not Paul the Apostle. Paul Miller says again in this book about cynicism. To be cynical, now listen y'all, this is, this, is, this is in us. To be cynical is to be distant. While offering a false intimacy of being in the know. You know anybody cynical? They always have the in the know. By the way, you do know someone cynical. This guy. While offering a false intimacy of being in the know, cynicism actually destroys intimacy. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. A praying life is just the opposite. It engages evil. Y'all seeing this? It engages evil. It doesn't take no for an answer. The psalmist was in God's face, hoping, dreaming, asking. Prayer is feisty. Cynicism, on the other hand, merely critiques. It's passive cocooning itself from the passions of the greater cosmic battle we are engaged in. It is without hope. And so I wonder, church, if you have seen the man behind the curtain with God or you think you have, when all you've experienced is the first layer of growth through disappointment. And I wonder what battles you and I have given up on because we have a, just been given a quick jab of no, right to the nose, and we just, we just exit the fight because we got a little, little disappointed. But I wonder if we would pray. One of the greatest people I know in prayer is my wife. Um, I'm probably standing before you because she's prayed for me and my mom. Those two people alone probably like, have sustained my life more in prayer than anybody else. But I wonder if you would pray like my wife. So one time in Dallas, she was sitting in the backyard. We had a little tiny little, um, I don't even know what that thing was called, but trash. That's all I can think of. Um, but it was a little, what is it called? A duplex. Yeah, that's it. And it was made of concrete, and if you're ever in Dallas and you have a house made of concrete, it gets hot. Anyways, we spent our lives, or our, a lot of time in the backyard, 
And she was praying and reading, and there was a cicada in the tree, and she asked the Lord, Lord, that cicada is really loud. Could you just remove the cicada? And the cicada dropped dead. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Now, I wonder what your reaction to that is. You cynical about it? Because when we talked about this yesterday, she goes, no one's going to believe that. That's only because they haven't seen a cicada drop dead. And if you don't believe that one, here's another one. We were in Mexico one time. We were coming back across the border, and one of my buddies that came with us on mission in Mexico had forgotten his passport. No problem going into Mexico. A little bit more problems getting back into the U.S. And so he goes, hey, brother, I don't have a passport. I was like, what? You, you're telling me now while we're already in Mexico? What do you want us to do? He goes, I don't know. Oh, well, let's pray. So we asked the Lord for help. We got in the truck. Uh, somebody's driving, I don't know who it was. He's in the passenger seat. I'm back behind the driver. There's another person and another person. The border agent comes up and goes, papers, please. We go, okay, no problem. We all give him our passports, except the guy that doesn't have one, and he asks everybody for their password, one by one by one by one. But he has, doesn't ask the dude in the passenger seat. Now, you can think, oh, well, he just forgot, but we pray that the Lord would help us, and I think God made him invisible. Why are you laughing, you cynics? I'm absolutely for real. You see, you got to see this stuff and believe this stuff. Or maybe you just can't, and you just read about it, and you think about a woman who's so desperate for God, who's been bleeding for 12 years, and Jesus is busy. He's on his way to another miracle. Does that stop her? I wonder how, what your mindset is when you start to pray and then just kind of give up. You start to, to think about what could God do? Oh, he's too busy. He's too important. I mean, that little girl that he's on his, on his way to go save, she's more important than me. She doesn't do any of that. She's been bleeding for 12 years, and she tracks him down, pushes people out of the way, and touches his garment. And what does Jesus do? He heals her, but what does he also freak out about a little bit? He goes, all right, who just touched me? The power came out of me. And he looks at that woman, and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. There's nothing that he's too busy for because he's on the way to another miracle. And what happens? That girl dies. Is that outside of God's sovereignty and plan and perfect will? That disappointment of that father who, saw, who heard now that he wasn't even there when his daughter died. He's over there trying to track down the busy Messiah. And she dies while he's not even there. And they come and tell him he's dead. Ah, she ain't dead. She's sleeping. And Jesus finishes the work to go and heal her as well. You see, when we, when we read that, do you also laugh? When we read that, do we also think, oh, that's just silly? No, no, it's been recorded for all of eternity. My prayers haven't, but Jesus' life has. Will we, will we see this with great faith, a deeper faith of dependence upon God? Because we've got to repent of cynicism. Something that creeps in in all of us. And that leads us to, where am I? That leads us to, this strong belief, a strong belief, tip number three, a strong belief in Abba. Abba. Abba, it's this beautiful word for father. You see, when that woman was healed, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And when cynicism and disbelief creep in and they tell us that God doesn't care about our needs, that he's too busy to answer us, and our problems aren't as big as others, like those in Afghanistan or India or El Salvador, Jesus reminds us that he is never too busy for his children. I grew up with a dad who was very busy. Many times my narrative could be that he was too busy for us. 
Um, he was a chiropractor for like 40 years, and anytime I would go to his office, he would be running around like a crazy person seeing however many patients he could in any given day. But when I showed up, he buzzed me back into the busy office, and I always felt important because he's like, my son, buzzed me back. And I would buzz me back. I'm like, yeah, that's right. You don't have to wait. I don't have to wait in the waiting room. Y'all are some suckers. I'm going back. And I would go back, and I would not get treated, but I would go back to his office. And I mean, it would be chaos in his office, but he would always make five minutes just to hear what was going on. And I called my dad this week, and I said, hey, I just want you to know I really appreciated that as a kid. And he goes, what else would I do? You're my son. You know, God's never too busy for you. He's never got too many people to kind of be working the room for him to not just sit for a moment. Because if you'll sit with him, if you've come to see him, he'll come and sit with you. You know, a lot of times we relate to our, our dad like, we're, like, like we do with our pre-Kers or our kindergartners or our first graders or second graders. See, that kind of age group, the kids incessantly need you. And we think we're just a preschooler, and I'll bet God relates to me like I'm relating to my preschooler, which is just give me five minutes. But he's not doing that. He's relating to us like I'm starting to relate to my teenagers and my preteens. You want to hang out with me? Are you going to come and talk to me? Anything you need, girl? You need some Starbucks? You need, what you need? Let's go. You need a donut? A gluten-free donut? How about a muffin? What do we need to do? Let's spend some time together. You see, because there comes a point where you get with your kids where they don't need you anymore. But when they come and address you, Abba or Ima listens and goes, whatever you need, what you got? Come on. How can I help? How can I intervene? What can I do? You tell me. You want big bad dad to come after him? Let's go. Let's do it. See, that's the kind of thing that God's posture is for us. That he's ready, waiting, longing to intervene for us. And you might think, well, I mean, come on. See, even when we don't know that he's doing that, he's doing that. I want to read two pieces of scripture very quickly and we'll move forward. The first thing that we need to understand, right, is that this, this Abba, he's doing things for us we would never know. Romans 8 says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Catch this, this connection to prayer. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's not just the Spirit who's groaning for us, praying for us, but also the Son in Hebrews 7. It says this, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. How's that true? He, since he is always always lives to make intercession for those he's longing to save. The Spirit is groaning and praying for us, and we know not what to pray for. The, the Son is also living to intercede for us. To our Father. What an amazing statement. We must believe in Abba. We have a strong belief in a Father who has a posture that is for us, that longs for our good. Tip number four, we're almost there, kind of. Tip number four, engage in warfare. So with full faith that God is for us as a father in our corner, we must engage. Paul the Apostle says this in Ephesians 6, his greatest chapter on spiritual warfare, and he ends it with, this, with these words in Ephesians 6, 16 through 18. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That's one of those, those armor of believers, right? With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he says this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. It's not going to get easy, y'all. With all perseverance, making supplication, not just for yourselves, but for all the saints. Friends, there is a spiritual war going on for your soul that you cannot see. Many times you might think you're just down on any given day. Many times you might think, why didn't I pray for like the last three days? Why, how, how is it so easy that I could forget that the God of the universe came to earth and died for me a sinner? How is it so easy that I would be tempted to just like betray all that I know to be true and go and purposefully sin in X, Y, Z or way? How could I betray him so easily? How could I so... So all of a sudden, take on the characteristics of Judas more than Jesus. So we do it weekly, daily, minute by minute. How could that be? Because there is a war going on for you. You can work all you want. You can get efficient all you want. You can do all the things that you might think you need to do in this life. But if you are not fighting your battle on bended knee, crying out to our Father who ordains all things, can protect us from all things, then we are already losing. We must be a people dependent and habitually fighting to pray. You don't feel like praying? Me either. Let's get into the fight and realize why we don't feel like it. Because the enemy could care less if we go before God himself. Instead, he wants us to absolutely just kind of, not like rebel, but just come over with a, with a general malaise of self-sufficiency. Life's good enough. We're good. All is well. No, no, we got to fight. If, if your life all is well, then you're not taking enough risks. You don't believe God enough for some things. And instead, maybe your life is that way. Well, I'll tell you what, mine's not. This church's isn't. There's a constant fight for unity in any given church. Constant fight to stay on mission in any given church. F fight for that. Like pray for us then. Pray for any church. Pray for the Christians, all the saints, and all the world to continue to remain faithful to Jesus at all costs. That's what it's going to continue to take. is for all of us to be able to do this simple thing to engage in warfare. And then number five. How about we practice this? We're not good at it. But if we practiced prayer. So three little general points. Ready? This is something that the leaders of the Grove have been doing for years. And I would encourage you, if you're a leader at the church, if you're a leader at this church, if you're a neighborhood leader, if you're an elder, if you're a deacon, if you're a serve team leader, do this first. If you're not a leader, do this first. Get a calendar out and you got 30 days. Take 31 for yourself. You got 30 days. And every single day on the calendar, find someone to pray for. Put an alarm on that calendar at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. or whenever it is that you're going to pray. And that different person will pop up on your phone before you're ready for the day. Today, the third of the month, has been that way for years, John Hilliard. I know what to pray for for John Hilliard. The first of the month is my family. I know what to pray for for my family. The second of the month is the Johnsons up in Virginia. I know what to pray for for them, but I'll also text them. On the fourth of the month, I think it's the Zurchers, if I'm not, uh, so, if I'm not off. So I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to call them. I'm going to text them. Hey, Zurchers, we're praying for you today. What can I pray for? And they might give me some practical thing to pray for, but I'll probably push back a little bit and go, so what's kind of the thing below, beneath the thing? 
or if I don't push back, I'm praying like Epaphras. And you might go, Epaphras? Epaphras in the church of Colossae, it says this about him in Colossians 4, verse 12. Just, it's not even going to go anywhere. I'm just going to put it up on the screen here, right? It says this, Epaphras, who is one of you? A servant of Christ Jesus greets you. He says, hello. And always he is struggling on your behalf in prayers. You want to know where our prayer ministry is? It's you. It's you, y'all. Put it on the calendar. Be an Epaphras. Don't just ask for people what to pray for. Spend some time praying for them to fight. For them to fight for maturity. For them to enter into the, to the, to the spiritual war that's going on for their souls. He is always struggling on, on your behalf in his prayers that you might stand mature. Fully assured in all the will of God. Man, when you, what would your life look like if you were fully assured in the will of God? Somebody better be praying for you, and you better be praying for others in that way. So when the Zerchers give me back whatever they're going to give me back, right, I'm going to engage in such a way that goes, man, I'm praying for maturity. I'm praying that you would stand firm in the full will of God. Let's do this together. Let's create a calendar. What would it look like if all of us had 30 days in any given month, and it repeats every month, to pray for one another, to pray for Christian leaders, to pray for those in your neighborhood group, in your growth group, the people that work, and you just text them, you go, hey, weird thing, I got a prayer calendar going on, and I don't really talk to you much about this, but I want to know what to pray for you about. If you don't want to share with me, that's cool. The Lord knows, but I just thought maybe you could inform our prayers a little bit. Y'all are looking at me like, sounds good, don't know if I want to do it. What if our life depended on it, would you? Because that's where we are. Practice. Let's just practice it. If you can't do 30 days, how about you do five? Can you do a week? See, that's, that's like really where I want to end today is like, what can you do? Anytime we put prayer before people, we go, well, you know, I don't pray out loud. Could you pray inwardly? Pray inwardly. I can't pray for 15 minutes. Can you pray for 14? What can you do? How can you pray? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like to do X, Y, or Z. I mean, I, I don't know if she's in here, but like, ask Crystal Cruzel. Yeah, she's smiling back there. I see you, girl. Ask Crystal Cruzel what this was like for her in the beginning stages of the Grove Church because she was one of those people that's like, man, I can't pray for people. And then all of a sudden, we got this thing where we're like, man, we're going to pray for people. And so she walks up to her strangers at her apartment complex where she lives, and she goes, hey, I would like to pray for you. Can I pray for you sometime? And they were like, sure. How about right now? And she's like, oh, Lord. And you know what she did? The person that said she can't pray out loud or with other people did it. And her faith was never the same, I think. Praise God for that. By grace, she stepped into that moment just trying to be obedient to a new church and a new calling and just trying to do new things. And all of a sudden, she found herself in an awkward, uncomfortable position, which, by the way, welcome to Christianity. And all of a sudden, there you are. And the faith, rubber hits the road. And you can grow or you can stay the same. Can we practice this together? Can we pray what we have? John Tyson says, pray what you've got. You can't do X, Y, or Z? Then do what you can. Can't pray for an hour? Pray for five minutes. Whatever it may be. Well, I've preached for far too long. And I really wanted to take some time to pray for just a few, few things. So I'm going to do that, and then we're going to enter into a season or a time. A season? Whoa, we're never really getting long. A time of communion. But before we get there, this is what I, my, my posture of prayer, and I hope you see, like, it's the Lord's Prayer, but I'm not praying the Lord's Prayer. When I drop my kids off every day, I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, but I'm not using those words. So I want to pray some things through the structure of the Lord's Prayer, just as a model for us, but also because it's been really life-giving for me 
as I drop my kids off and take them to school every day. And I'm praying this over Moses as I take him here to Frost. I'm, taking, I'm praying over Ro- R- Roses, over Reese and Ellie as I take them over to Wertheimer and to Briscoe. I'm going to pray this now over our church and the structure of what the Lord taught us and how that he taught us to pray. And then we're going to get our kids for communion. We're going to come back. We're not in a rush. You can't be having a prayerful life and then still be in a rush. Those two things are, are not compatible. So, our Father, that's true, that we're your sons and your daughters. And we can invite, we can ask you for anything because that's what, that's what kids do. And so because we can ask you for anything, we're going to ask you first that you would make your name great in our lives. That we would live for you and live um, as holy people, set apart for your majesty, set apart for your glory, set apart, apart for, your, uh, uh, for your goodness, for your purposes, for your plans. Lord, that's what it means to, to have your name be holy and hallowed. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come in our hearts. We pray that your kingdom would come in the hearts of all the people that call the Grove Church home, whether online or in person. When your kingdom comes, Lord, there's no other will that needs to be done except for the king. So I pray, Lord, that you'd free us from the temptation to want to want someone else's kingdom, including our own. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. I pray that we would realize that we only need today's bread, that tomorrow's bread will come tomorrow for tomorrow's trouble, but that we would be a people that are dependent, wholly dependent upon what you want to give us today. So let us see what you have given us and provided for us in the fields of life. Help us see what relationships you're giving us, what relationships you're taking away, what opportunities you're giving us. But ultimately, Lord, we want you. We want the the bread of life that has come down from heaven. So give us that daily bread today. Lord, keep us from trouble. Keep us from trouble as we, um, we don't want to be a people that, that are, are living without forgiveness. And so remind us of how much you have forgiven us so that we can forgive others. Remind us in all of life the good news that we were sinners. We were running. We had hearts full of uh, rocks and a heart made of stone. Remind us that we did nothing to stand before you to be able to pray, but that those who would believe in him, you've given the right to be called children of God. And so we are. Help us remember that status that we did not earn so that we then can forgive others who don't deserve it. We all got a name in here right now, someone who doesn't deserve our forgiveness. Just like we didn't deserve Jesus' forgiveness. So Lord, help us. Give us the power by your spirit to forgive that person and the many others that will come into our lives this week. And Lord, we do all this because why do we trust you? Why do we ask these things? Why are we dependent upon you? Because yours is the kingdom. It's not ours. You got all the power. We don't. And we don't want to live for our own fame and our own glory and our own reputation. We want to live for yours. So help those in India stay true. Help those in El Salvador be creative in their businesses and in their faith. Help those at Depelchin, Lord. Remember that their dad hasn't forgotten about them. Their Abba continues to look on through those concrete walls into their hearts, drawing those orphans to a dad who will never leave them, never forsake them. You have become the father to the fatherless. And I pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come in those little girls and little boys' hearts. They'd quit kicking and screaming in their spirit. They'd just submit to a good dad who loves them. And I pray that you do the same for all of us, Lord. We want to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen.